The Giordana Sagittarius logo has been a staple of the Pro Peloton for decades. Made in Italy for cyclists by cyclists since 1979. Thanks to a long history of partnerships with the top teams in the sport, they have the knowledge to deliver clothing that the pros rely on. Today, it's not just the Mitchelton Scott and Astana Pro teams that benefit. Giordana's goal is to empower every rider to reach new heights. That's the drive that constantly pushes them to create and innovate. Everything Giordana makes is designed to enhance cycling performance and enjoyment, whether you're a professional racer or a weekend warrior. Go check them out. Head over to GiordanaCycling.com to see what's new. For a limited time, you can get 25% off your purchase when you use the code PODCAST. At first a novelty, now some six weeks on and with the easing of restrictions beginning in earnest, we check in with NTT Pro Cycling's Michael Valgren to see how he's holding up after being in this racing absence for so long and how he's planning on moving forward. This week on Put Your Socks On. Hello and welcome to Put Your Socks On, the podcast that's been easing restrictions to the road since its inception. My name is Angus Morton and in our 51st episode, I am joined by the one and only Bobby J. G'day mate, how you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, Man, this week has flown by here at the Julek household, I can tell you that. I can't believe it's already been a week since we recorded the last time. Nothing really new to report as we all seem to be just getting used to this new normal. Um, Weather down here has been spectacular, by the way. And, you know, recently you just get that sense that, that people are ready to get back going again. So hopefully we'll start to transition out of lockdown, as Sir Dave Brailsford said on uh, our last episode. Yeah, I, uh, I've definitely noticed the, the warmer weather um, has seen a lot more people out and about and itching to, you know, get back to normal life, whatever that will look like. Um, but hopefully we can do that safely, right? Um, Bobby, though, before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to get your take on some comments from um, team managers and team principals that have been coming out over the past week. And I think it's indicative of, of what you just said, right? Everyone's itching to get going again. And um, I think everyone's nervous to that something will impede that 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 progress, right? Um, you and I sat down with Sir Dave Brailsford last week and he expressed to us, um, as well as you know several other media outlets, his belief that the cycling business model needs to change. His thoughts have been echoed or even preceded by you know a few prominent prominent observers, guys like Steve and, and, and the outer line, right? Even ourselves, we've spoken about this. Um, you know, despite all this conversation, right, nobody's really put forward any clear steps towards reaching that solution. Um, you know, nobody, and, and all these calls for change, like everyone thinks now seems to be the time, right? There's this, this pause, this disruption, and there's, you know, the ability, there's, it's been demonstrated that there's the ability to change. Um, this week, in direct response to all of those sort of calls, we've seen some prominent cycling characters, Bjarni Ries, Alberto Contador, Patrick Lefebvre, John Lelang, among others, to come out pretty much really in quick succession and reject for the call for this change, right? They've sort of said, you know, some have labeled, la- labeled Brailsford selfish, others have called the current model perfect. 
Um, and these are, you know, these are coming from from people who uh, have laid off staff, have cut rider salaries. So, you know, evidently there are there are some impacts going on right now. I wanted to get your take on how you see this playing out and, and what your read is um, on on some of these comments. Well, let me start by saying this is quite the rabbit hole. I don't think we realized how deep it goes until we started looking into this. Uh, Michele Accarone had some amazing insights, and what Sir Dave Brailsford told us is nothing new. Um, things are going to be hard to change the way that they're set up now. We, we see that. Smart people, I mean very, very smart people, have come up for years now with suggestions, strategies, even a roadmap of how to improve things. But it seems to me like ego is getting in the way of progressive thinking and cooperation. Um, this is going to take a strong leader from the USA, is what Michele Accarone told us, to sort this all out. Um, Sir Dave Brailsford did mention that they were a long ways away from, you know, imposing any real change between the teams. But I have to say, after that 50th episode with Sir Dave Brailsford, I was very optimistic that this situation would be the impetus for change and cooperation and just simple get-alongedness, right? But when I read when I read Bjarna, Bjarna Reese's comments about, you know, Dave being selfish and John Lalong saying that, you know, things are, are perfect, man, I have to say, I just felt really deflated. Who, who knows? Maybe there are a lot of talking between behind the scenes between the, the teams, but what they said just felt wrong to me. And then on top of that, Patrick Lefebvre saying that this is not time to go to war with the ASO. That really surprised me because yes, this is not time to go to war. This is time to cooperate, Right. To me, what are these people thinking? It's it's not wartime, it's survival time. And the parties have to come together or, you know, this thing is going to get burnt down to the ground. So I guess we'll see what happens with the when the UCI releases its revised autumn calendar on Cinco de Mayo, the, the 5th of May. Um, but during these special times, we have to do special things, perhaps some new things. So let's just pray that the, the powers that be in over the entire sport really step up to the plate. And that's it, right? Like we're seeing this play out in the media and then you can only sort of, of trust what's going on, you know, hear what's going on behind this, the scenes from, you know, just getting, you know, comments from, from different people. But I think like there is something to that sentiment that's going on right now and like, you know, Speaking with Dave last week, he was like he said that he was really impressed with with and, and had a lot of respect for a lot of the people who ran the teams. And he did say, you know, we all have our our differences, but in this period, he's been really um, he's been really uh, inspired by how everybody's kind of come together, you know. And I was left thinking, well, great, at least there's a dialogue that's begun now. And maybe once we get racing, you know, obviously change. Well, I mean, we've seen the change can happen overnight, right? Like Dave said it. Who would have thought that you could shut down a city like New York? But you know, we're thinking, well, maybe there will be at least um, the, the, the the movement or at least the thinking towards some change. And then, you know, three really prominent um, cycling characters or four really prominent cycling characters come out and, and sort of say the opposite. Um, 
as you said, I think that right now, I think it could be nerves. Everyone's sort of on the ropes as this has progressed, right? And 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 there's sort of been less and less certainty um, as this has gone on, and the fear of the fact that you know the 2020 season might disappear is is I think putting a lot of people on the edge of their seat, and and their thinking is let's let's not ruffle the feathers, let's just like make sure the Tour de France happens, and and we can talk about next year then because. Without that, um, you know, there may not be a next year for a lot of these teams, and 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 the reality of that, I think, is is pretty daunting to even begin to consider. Um, as you said, though, hopefully, you know, we can get a little certainty, and the world opens up, and and we're successful in doing that. Bobby, let's move on to the uh, focus of this week's episode, and that is Michael Valgren. Turning pro at the tender age of 21, Michael quickly won consecutive uh, under-23 Liège-Baston-Liège editions, establishing himself as a rider to watch in the future. Fast forward that to 2018, and Michael came of age, winning Umloop Newsblad uh, and the Monument Amstel Gold Race, as well as finishing fourth at the Tour of Flanders. Yeah, Michael Valgren made a very strong impression on me right away, uh, I think it was his first year at Tinkoff Saxo Bank, and I was watching the world's uh, the world championship road race in Ponferrada, Spain, where he was away, and he was so close to being able to stay on Mikhail Kwiatkowski's wheel in the final there. But his time at Astana in 2017, and especially 2018, was where he took a huge step forward. Following that coming of age, moving from a strong man of the peloton to a team leader, Valgrim moved to his current team, NTT, formerly Dimension Data, in one of the most anticipated moves for the 2019 season. Plagued by bad form and a series of setbacks in 2019, it w- turned out to be a winless one. But with 2020 and a chance to redeem his un esque condition, as I'll, I'll say it, Seemed like with the COVID-19 situation, it just delayed his chances of ever getting to his favorite classics again this year. We don't, we don't know. And with those restrictions set to ease and all of our fingers crossed uh, that we will see some racing as the plan is, what can only be described as an insufferable two, you know, insufferable two months of, of uncertainty, we sat down with Michael to hear how he's been holding up and how he plans to move forward. Hello, Michael Valgren, and welcome to Put Your Socks On. How you doing, man? How are you and your family holding up? Hey, Bobby. Hey, good to hear from you. Yeah, we're great, actually. We're back in, back in Denmark. We escaped Monaco and France before the lockdown happened down there. So here in north of Denmark, it's been pretty normal, almost. Like, I come from a region where everything is pretty spread out, so not a lot of people. So it's been pretty chilled up here, actually, to be honest. Were you ever tempted to stay down in Monaco or was that basically government mandated that you guys return to Denmark? It wasn't uh, mandatory from the government. Uh, they only wanted people back from vacation. But people who live abroad, they actually said, like, you should stay where you live. But in terms of my training, it would just be much better to go back to Denmark where I could train outside instead of being on a home trainer for 50 days. And on that, you sort of said things aren't that much different for you back there. What does your day look like right now? You know, you, you said you can kind of train. Are you training normally? You know, what sort of, what's the difference? Oh, just to shake it from the beginning, I found it was really period actually. Like my head was just, you know, up and down and I, and I couldn't really get a routine until I talked to my manager, Joao. He said like, Michael, you got to get a routine. got to get a start your day out like you normally do. And then, yeah, and just start like I normally would do like my morning coffee, training, 
then I kind of find the motivation again, even though we don't have, have races, but I was working on some, some points that I wasn't really good at in training. And actually I, I, I found some, some kind of motivation in that. And then just by talking to people that helped me a lot, but it's a bit strange situation now, like I feel like maybe a hundred days to be racing, you know, and like, what do you train for? So now I'm just trying to keep the shape. I just had a small break actually, not to, not to just do the same for like 150 days. So it's clear the head, clear the legs. So. Yeah, that, that's got to be hard. I mean, I feel sorry for all you guys not having a, a real set timeline or objectives because we're still kind of waiting, even though they did send out a tentative date for yeah. a couple races, including the Tour de France. It just seems all muddled a little bit. But when I saw that you have been doing some pretty long rides, like, are you are you riding by yourself or small groups or how does that work up in, in Denmark right now? I'm mostly trained by myself. In the weekend, sometimes a group ride, but... Yeah, I just I kind of respected the the rules from the government not to train with too many people, and and actually I I enjoy my own company at the time or at this time, so <laughs> it's, it's been good. But I haven't been training long or like hours, but I've been training some kilometers because it's pretty fed up here. You go out at like 35, 37 kilometer average speed, so then you get some miles in. So yeah, so it's been pretty good coming back actually, get some speed in the legs, small climbs. And being able to see you, you look you look super fit right now. I mean, during lockdown, do you get on a scale? Do you even look at that? Or are they totally banned and put under the, the bathroom sink these days? Oh, my scale is always uh, hidden in the, in, in the locker somewhere. I, it's like a landmine, you know? <laughs> no, um, actually, I'm trying. I'm having a pretty healthy relationship now with everything. I have a beer now and then and, and just having fun because I know it's been like a long time before we race so but I still train good so I also need to eat some you know and then I just enjoy the company with my my wife and and a bottle of wine now and day so I feel good like I'm been training well and you know you know Bjarne Bjarne's come back to NCT and we had like a, a team meeting he likes that like have a team building camp online and he told us to train harder be smarter with, with food and everything and, and then you know so they the team is trying to have a look at us so of course I'm I'm going on the scale now and then. And also now with the Swift races coming up, we need to know our weights. We don't cheat, et cetera. So yeah, I'm, I'm not too bad, actually. I'm, I was 70 and a half the other day. So that's pretty good for me. Um, just hope I have some power. <laughs> and we'll get to, I want to hear about the, the Swift races and how the team's sort of like maintaining, um, I guess, that sense of, of, of camaraderie between everybody. But you mentioned a bit before, like it, you know, at first it was it was hard because mentally, right? Because yeah. like everything gets cancelled, and obviously, you're like a big part of your season coming was coming up, right? And it's it's now been missed. Yeah, like what? How was that? And how did you kind of, I guess, move past that and 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 put yourself in a place where you're like, okay, it's fine, you know, moving on. And and how have you been able to motivate yourself and kind of overcome that? Yeah, like you say, it's actually pretty shit for me as a classic rider. Just had the classics coming up, especially because I had a special way. This season of, of coming into the classics, I went a bit old school, did some long, long blocks in the winter, not too intense. And then I used the, the race in the southern France in the, in the beginning of February to get back to race with them and actually use Paris-Nice as a, as, a, as a training race. So I never really got to see if that if, if that new style of, uh, of approach to the, to the spring classic was, was beneficial for me. Um, I can only see that in my, in my training that I was doing really good training blocks uh, after I came back to Denmark. So I think it would have worked 
but we never really saw it in, in, in the real life. So that was hard, but that was also what kept me motivated to to show these numbers in, in, in training that I could see, okay, wow, I'm doing one minute peaks and stuff like that. That was actually super nice that I, that the training and calculation we did was actually working. And you said that you were able to, or you kind of now able to enjoy yourself a little bit. You kind of like trying to relieve the pressure, like so long as you train well. What what is there any positive thing to take out of a situation like this? Have you ever been able to reflect on something and be like, okay, maybe you know there is is some something I can learn coming forward? Yeah, I think I have two things actually. Like one of the things is on the on the bike side is that since this lockdown started and then all the Corona thing, I started working on like one minute efforts and like short intense efforts. And I could see within two, three weeks, I increased like 10, 15%. And that was actually what I missed in the, in the races like Pyrenees and these races. I, I, I couldn't cope with the lactate. So now I found like some really good efforts that I know now works for me, becoming really good at what I'm good at in the, in the first place already. So that was actually one good thing. And the other good thing is I can see my, my, my son grow up. I have a five-month-old son. And normally I wouldn't be home and, and, and see him uh, growing up. And in the last two months, he's just been learning new things every day. So that's a uh, nice thing to be part of. So yeah, actually, there's some good good things about this uh, Corona thing for me at least. Yeah, you got to take out the positives and maybe even find out a new hobby or a new interest because there is a lot more time. You guys aren't traveling as much. But let's change gears here a little bit and talk about you and how you got into cycling. Who was your cycling idol? Who had the biggest influences on your, your cycling career? Oh, I've always been a footballer. I don't know, do you call it soccer over there? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, soccer. Um, <laughs> and uh, I always played that until I was 12, 13 years old. And actually, I was pretty good at it, if I may say so. I was like in this qualification game towards the, the national and I made it to the fourth round of fifth or five. Then I didn't get selected. Then I got like pissed. Then then I started cycling actually because I got a jersey from my neighbor, which he won in a cycling competition, but he was too big for it. There's an old CSC Tiscali jersey. And then it was the summer, you know, Jakob Peel, uh, he was actually my my starting idol like on that team because I could kind of see myself and him with the long blonde hair. And yeah, um, I never had a really big, um, how do you say, like, started i looked up to but when i started riding seriously i really liked the the way fabian was riding and his style on the bike and such a good rider uh, i was trying to imitate him like how he was sitting on the bike you know use those big hips and glutes and i think he was my growing up idol I, yeah i just started by coincidence and i i love being outside riding the bike on my mom's uh, giant city bike so it's a bit random actually <laughs> Do you remember your first win? And to date, is that your favorite cycling memory? And if it's not, what is your favorite cycling memory? There's been many, actually. I remember my first win. It was like when I was the youth rider, like under 15. I won a time trial. It wasn't so nice because all the good riders were selected for the national teams. And they were in Austria racing a race. But, you know, a win is a win. So it was nice. Um, then the year after, I was, I was junior. Then I came... I, I, qualified for the national and I went to uh, Luxembourg and we did this uh, general pattern and I won the first stage there as a first year junior and uh, I was beating this second year junior Chiom Bang Piersburg who was now riding for CCC he was a big name back then he won like Paris Aubert as a junior and yeah, he was a big guy so that was a huge win for me and then that is really still in my in my mind I just remember I opened the sprint from like 
a chaos out because uh, I was so I was still like a rookie, you know. I was just so goddamn strong, so that was a that was a good win. Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. Uh, ever since you kind of popped up on people's radar, my first thing was, "Damn, this kid is strong, absolutely <laughs> strong." But I mean, you've you've won some classics. You know, you're the an overall strong man of the peloton. But what race that you haven't won yet? is on like your to-do list to win in the future what what race really motivates you now yeah you make it sound like i won like a lot of races i, I didn't i would love to though like i think yeah like i say i consider myself a strong rider and i think i should be able to win more but uh, i'm still pretty young 28 only but uh, my favorite race now is two of flanders i fell in love with the cobblestones uh, classics pretty early uh, i started racing them only in 2017 my first year in astana when last week i Got me into the couple stone classics team and and just you know Tour of Flanders is just such a special race. It's just the atmosphere and and, and the people there they go crazy up the Quadrimon, the smell of beer and the shouting and it's a little bit like riding the world championship, which I also I love. But I, I think Tour of Flanders is the is the biggest one. I want to hear about NTT, the the team you're at now. Like you have Doug Ryder as the principal, right? Bjarni Reese has come on board as team manager. Um, and then, you know, you guys, so it's sort of like, you know, pretty new-ish setup right this year. And you guys obviously started really well. I want to hear about like, you know, having Bjarne come on board and, and that sort of change. Like how well did you know him beforehand? And yeah. Because probably you obviously know Bjarne very well also and, and you know what he stands for. But I must say before Bjarne, he came into the team, it was actually last Mikkelsen who, who changed the team from last year to this year, trying to get the team to be a team. We were not really working well together last year and, and, and we were all riding for ourselves and, and like good guys, hey, one of them, but we just didn't have this unit, you know. And then it was also from, from above management-wise, like there was some big clashes between Douglas and, and, and Rolf and Daniel Green and, and, and some, some stuff there that uh, Lars, he, he took care of. And then when he got that thing turning, yeah, then Bjarne came in and then and Bjarne, he made a big, big change of the whole staff, I think, because... Uh, respect for Bjarne and they know what he stands for but the staff are so afraid that Bjarne would bring in all his uh, entourage but Bjarne you know was observing the first camp and, and like really talked to every one of the staff and made them sure that you know you have a job here as long as you are committed and you do a job and you know and everybody just kind of fell in love with Bjarne and, and, and his long speeches after dinner and where he was sitting and just looking at people not talking really and then you know that's like the way I think Bjarne does he just stares at you and then wait for you to talk like he just stares and then you kind of open up it's just so random it's so weird <laughs> but he made a big big impression for for the whole team that like now we're really working as, as, as one unit and then we have this hashtag called one team and we really we really in for it and then and, and yeah not stronger than the weakest uh, link in the team. And, and that's what we really try to, to, how to say, like, yeah, to do. And how has he been, how has it been during this lockdown now? Like the team staying together, you said, you know, you've had like a bunch of meetings and things like that. Is there still like a really strong sense between the team? And I mean, particularly like, I mean, maybe not necessarily so much for you because you're able to go outside and train, but the guys that are stuck in places that they can't, how is that kind of keeping everyone together being? So we have this general meeting every every Saturday, the whole team, all riders, all, all staff. And uh, we have some different topics. Um, Bjarne had a, a meeting, a presentation last Saturday about teamwork. And before that, uh, Victor Kampenarts had a presentation about his hour record and, and 
what he do when he goes in altitude and stuff like when he do like um, heat uh, adaptation. Yeah, sorry. So we've been doing these small presentations in our uh, every Saturday, and with that, um, also we have had these uh, swift rides where the guys, like you say, live in Spain or Italy. They've been kind of the leader in, so they had the opportunity to to do some some rides with the with the fans, and I think like that it's been pretty easy to or easier to train, but it's not it's not fun when you can't go outside. And then you had like the opportunity to do Monday and Wednesday core with uh, two of our um, Swannies. So yeah, we actually been pretty much together without being together. So I think the team is doing really well of trying uh, to keep people committed and, and yeah not lose the, uh, the mentality and then you've obviously been doing a bit of Zwift racing and there's about I mean the Zwift 5 starts today or started today tell me how you feel about virtual racing like what are your what's your take on that yeah it's that's positive things and negative things about it I think it's I think Swift is a good platform I think that the Rory thing that we saw last week or two weeks ago that was something to be improved <laughs> But uh, yeah, um, like I'm racing tomorrow and see how it goes. And I think I'm better on the road, but I'm a bit smarter than other guys. Because uh, in terms of what's per kilo, I'm, I'm for sure not going to win tomorrow. But uh, unless I'm going to fix my my power meter, and maybe have a chance. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's obviously one thing I don't like about it. You have different power meters, different trainers, and it'll just never be the same. You know, like for sure, I'm going to put my weight two kilo down. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> very diplomatic answer there uh once racing resumes though do you think i mean and like there are obviously a lot of kinks and 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 it is you know i know how i feel about it but do you think there is potentially a place for it in the future like integrating it into actual the actual season right i think it's possible to do it you see the right setup for sure there should be like a place where you can go to though and, and have your stuff checked and your weight and everything uh, but it's not something that i would do i think my hard and passionate on, on the road that's why I, i'm riding my bike like if i'm on the trainer it's just because i i have to not because I, I want to swift for sure made it a lot easier also like the good uh, home trainer now they have from tax and wahoo or whatever they're called like they are really nice so the experience on the, on, on the trainer is not what it used to be but anytime any day i'd rather go outside and go on the road yeah, I mean, you you have to use what you have and and stay connected. But yes, that's why you guys are professional road racers, right? Is because tactics and being efficient in the peloton. That's what that's what really makes the difference. Not just you know pure power for forty five minute races and all. But as these restrictions are easing and dates are being firmed up for events like the Tour de France and the Worlds. How are you planning to tackle your preparation for the resumption of the 2020 season? I'm sure you guys have had, you know, tons of what if scenarios. If we start here, this is what we do. If we start there, this is what we do. But taking into account that there's not going to be that typical lead up because it just kind of got busted 100% these last couple of months. There was an Excel spreadsheet that was leaked a couple of days ago. And it kind of had a, we'll find out tomorrow because evidently tomorrow they're actually going to hopefully release more, more of a definitive schedule. But just looking at this, it's going to be um, a pretty interesting schedule. So how do you guys set up your phase plan to tackle this complicated and maybe even sporadic schedule with 
the Tour de France with the classics kind of all going at the same time, overlapping grand tours, etc. No, it's pretty easy, Bobby. Actually, we have uh, one plan already. We just uh, all going to be in from the gun and to see how long the form is uh, is holding. That's like the plan from 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 Bjarne and and the team because there's not like time to to use like August to get in shape again because you never know what's going to happen uh, like in the autumn. Maybe the pandemic will start again. So I think we will try to aim to be ready just from the first of August to hit all the races with big form and then just see how long we can hold it. And then it doesn't really matter if it's the tour or if it's to Flanders or to Poland or whatever. We're just going to try and win each race we want to go to. And we've heard, speaking about like the, the, the 2020 season and what that will look like, right? There's been quite a bit of, you know, I guess there's not too much else to talk about, but quite a few team managers, some journos, things like that, even some riders talking about whether there needs to be a change in the cycling model or not coming out of this crisis. And I'm sort of interested to hear, not necessarily about your opinion on on that, but just how you feel as a rider. Like, do you guys have a voice? Do you have a way to express um, what you would like to see the cycling season look like or what you would like to see the racing structure look like? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Yeah, we have a rider's union, but it's not something that we're going to, uh, uh, or are using a lot because they don't have a big voice, to be honest. Um it's hard to to get something done within cycling these days. You know, like UCI and ASO, and like they're just so big and powerful. Uh, even though team managers, I think they're always trying, and they listen to us as a rider. So they actually they are our voices already. But I kind of also just like cycling how it is and how it's always been. You know, like this old school mentality. Uh, I think we need to look into that again and and bring that back. I think. That's what works for cycling. Then maybe we have to do it another thing in terms of the business-wise, like to keep the teams running. But I think the calendar and 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 how the races are now, I think it's it's pretty okay. So you've been in the sport for a while. You're what 28 years old now. You you turned pro at 19. So you you've seen a lot of changes. I mean, just looking at you, I've seen a lot of changes. But you know, you're married now. You have a child. You've established yourself as one of the top classic riders and overall strongmen of the Peloton. But I'm curious, 28-year-old Michael Valgren, if 19-year-old Michael Valgren pulls up, what advice would you give that young neo-pro that in these years since, since being in the sport that you wish you would have known then that you know now? What advice would I give myself? I think I'll probably tell myself that I have more faith in myself, more believe in myself um, not listening to or maybe listen to people but don't think that they are thinking you know bad about you oh, I, I have a lot of um, like I'm I've never been a, a lean or skinny rider and you know like it's just something that you have to be in cycling like you look at people's legs and see their veins like oh he's strong you know but I was strong without having a vein for, for a long time but that really bothered my mind and I was like so obsessed with, with food that I could, you know, not eat for a while and then I would just binge eat for a week. You know, I just had the total wrong idea of how to do it. Um, so I think if I could give myself that advice to be more smart about that, that would help me a lot. But like, that's why I've been so good at the last few years. Like now I know what to do. I know, I know my body. I know how food works and I, I keep learning and I'm really interested in how 
to eat and, and when to eat, what to eat, et cetera, et cetera. So that's something uh, I would say to him. Maybe train less also. <laughs> and speaking about like you sort of mentioned you like you know, you like the old school mentality of sport. You even said right back at the start, right? You've you kind of at the beginning of for this season, your preparation, you know, was was old school. What would you like to see, you know, like like taking it back to that old school, what sort of things would you like to see the sport of cycling embrace now from the old days? Um maybe you cannot say, but I think I would wish some more respect. Um it's just not that kind of respect anymore for uh, for teams or leaders when they have a jersey or have to, have to defend the jersey. Like, you know, some teams now when they have a jersey, it's like, oh, no responsibility. But where before, you know, if you had a jersey, you would honor it and then and you had the respect from all the other teams and you would maybe talk more together. And now I think it's so much more about flicking everyone, you know, you know flicked or be flicked, you know. So I think this should be more like, of course it shouldn't, but more like a gentleman's sport, you know, like, you know, where the raw power talks and so maybe some tactical, but not all this crazy uh, big chances in the corners and then, you know, riding people into ditches. And I, I think that's too much sometimes. Michael, thank you so much for your time. And we wish you, your family and team all the best and hope that once this cycling season does finally start again it brings much success and everything that you hope it will thank you very much i hope so too and also all the best to you guys thank you yeah you too mate i love to meet you and uh, and all the best take care bobby that was great to hear from from michael he um he offered some i think pretty honest and pretty interesting um insights there into how he's been coping you know and and also to how the team's kind of been functioning and it's nice to get that perspective um from a rider right we've been hearing from from team managers like Brailsford you know race organizers or former race organizers like uh Michele Aquarone and to hear from a rider who's in the thick of it um it has been really good what are your you know what are your sort of thoughts on 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 how he's you know how he's been handling this and then what and then what he's you know talking about moving forward and, and how you know how he sort of utilized this this time of 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 pause well i'll i'll be lying if i say that i'm not biased towards michael valgren i i love i love his style of racing i love the way he thinks he's such a smart kid he's such a good kid and some of the takeaways that i took from from his interview was yeah that that respect in the peloton you know like one of the things that he wanted to see change um you know with all these young guys coming into the sport, I get that it—it's not the, the you know ingrained in you since birth. These guys are coming in, and you know that lack of respect sometimes is what kind of creates some of this flicking, as as he put it. But the one thing that he was super honest with was his weight. When when I had contact with Michael, he was a little bit bigger. Like he said, he didn't have many veins in his legs, and he said that got into his head. Um, and and he's been able to adjust, and he's working on his weaknesses rather than just depending on his his strengths all the time to get him through. So that just shows to me that this kid is maturing. You know, he he's married, he has a kid now. He's experienced a great season. He's experienced a, a poor season. And now he's kind of found his niche again with uh, Bjarne Reese, you know, back at the team supporting him. And he just sounded happy to me. And for me, a happy rider is a good rider. 
Um, if you have that sort of support, if you get your confidence back, like it sounds like he is, uh, he, he, he has a lot of big victories ahead of him. So I just love talking to the kid anytime and then getting him on the podcast and having him be so open and honest with us. It was fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, I would still consider him a young rider, right? He's, he's 28. He's still got his prime ahead of him. I thought it was interesting to hear him, first of all, as you said, like um, talk about, you know, his weight and then also to talk about this, the, these new young guys that are, that are super strong, that are coming through. And that's all numbers and statistic based. Um, and I really got the feeling, you know, again, the way he spoke about the Zwift racing is like, you know, racing out on the road is, is, is racing. You've got to use your head um, as well as your legs. And there's so many factors that go into that. And I think that, um, you know, even with the sentiments that he said about going back, you know, back in time a little bit um, and, and, you know, taking the sport, bring some of these old school things um, into the future, which I, which I certainly, I would, I would have, have to agree with. And, and he's not the only person from the world tour that said that to me. Um, I think that that's something I really took, well, I found really interesting about that is like bike racing is, is racing, right? It's not data. It's not a data download, and and um, yeah, I'm like that's one thing that I've really gotten excited about, and I hope that fans and and people right like data, the rise of data. We've spoken about this with um, with the guys from Training Peaks, right? Like that's certainly influenced drastically and changed the sport in a big way. Um, but in the end, it's racing, right? And it's drama, and that only comes from being out in the road. That only comes from learning the craft of the sport and using your head. And, um, you know, I think we, the, the sport of cycling would be remiss to to let go of that. And, you know, I hope that uh, all of this with racing for, for what, it, you know, for all of its, 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 its greatness in this situation and, and for what it's, you know, done holding the sport together right now, I do feel that I hope that we learn from, from the fact that, you know, watching a bunch of avatars kind of pedal in this, you know, awkwardly computerized way. Um, the fluidity of watching a guy like Michael Valgren uh, on the road, um, performing in um, on those cobbles of Flanders will be, uh, you know, will will have everyone excited to 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 embrace the racing and 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 that core of the sport, which is you know a bunch of guys outsmarting each other and, and outriding each other on the road. And that's it. That's all we have time for this week. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and thanks again to Michael Valgren of NTT Pro Cycling for joining us. You can also get the show as well as a ton of other fantastic cycling journalism over at velonews.com. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Spotify, whatever your favorite go-to podcast site may be. Just search for Put Your Socks On or Fizzo, P-Y-S-O. Please continue to show your support by subscribing to this program, and please spread the word by telling your friends about us. This podcast is made by... Myself, Angus Morton, obviously Bobby J, and our faithful editor, producer, Eddie Rogers. Uh, you can reach out to us on social media, at Fizzopod on Twitter, at ThatIsGus, or at Bobby.Julik on Instagram. Reach out to us there, give us your suggestions, feedbacks, thoughts, whatever else. Until next week, thank you all for listening. Take it easy. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And as always, as we transition out of quarantine, don't forget to put your socks on. Mm-hmm.